Welcome to this edition of the Voice of Victory radio broadcast. Victory Baptist Church is an exciting, friendly, growing, independent Baptist church located in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. You are about to hear a Bible message from Pastor Jeremy Coburnett that was preached to the congregation of Victory Baptist Church. We trust that you will be blessed as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. As we continue our series this morning, our series is Joy for the Journey. And we've got a slide for that. I, I don't know if that you can get that up there or not. But our series on joy, we started last Sunday and we, we had to lay the groundwork and just say, are you saved? Because if you're not saved, you will never have true joy. You know, I'm all for sports, but sports does not bring true joy because what happens when your team loses? You go into depression. <laughs> and what happens when your team doesn't even make the playoffs? Or what happens when your star player gets hurt before the season even begins? You have no joy for at least a year, right? If sports is your joy. I'm all for, I'm all for uh, hobbies and I'm all for all those things. But can I tell you, if that's your joy, you won't have joy very long. Uh, because the joy that God gives us is not found in things, it's found in a person. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in a friend. It's not found in a job. It's not found in a house or a car or a bank account. But joy is found in Jesus. And if you're saved, you've got Jesus living inside of you. And you have the source of joy. If you're not saved, you have no joy. And by the way, if you're not saved, this life is the least of your worries. Because if you're not saved, the Bible tells us that when we die, we will go to heaven if we know Christ or we'll go to a place called hell if we've rejected Christ. So we said last week, are you saved? This week, I'd like to give you this thought from 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says in verse number 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. I love when I uh, when I love when I go somewhere uh, with my girls. I love to see I love to see their take on life. I love to see their perspective. I told this story in the uh, 8:45 service, but they like to go over here to Speedway. We try to limit those trips to about once every couple weeks, but they like to go a little more often than that. But they love the slushies at Speedway. How many of you love uh, the slushies at Speedway? Let me see your hands. We go to Speedway, and you know it's amazing. They've got cups that are about as big as a two-liter, you know. And so we don't get those cups. But I try to get the smallest cup with the, for the girls, and I want to fill it up for them. Because when I fill up a slushie, I get it about that far from the top. When the girls are filling up the slushie, they believe that it's not enough unless it's running over the sides of the cup. You know what I mean? It's got to be overflowing. They like um, scriptural slushies. David said, my cup runneth over. You know, that's what they like to do with, with their slushies. They don't want it almost full. They certainly don't want it half full. They want it filled to the brim. And you know, some of us in our Christian lives, we're missing out on so much joy that we could be having. Paul said to Timothy, he said, I want my joy to be full. I want to be filled with joy. And I'll tell you, there's joy in Jesus. 
But joy in Jesus starts with salvation, but then beyond that, there is the secret to joy. It's found in the Christian life. And that's what I'd like to share with you here this morning. I'll try not to be long. Uh, I heard a story uh, recently about a pastor who was uh, one morning, he was getting ready to preach, getting ready for the, to go to church. And he was a long-winded pastor just by nature. And if you think I'm long-winded, I wish you could have heard some of the preachers I heard when I was growing up. How many of you ever had a pastor in your life that they could go an hour, no problem? You know what I'm talking about, okay? I've heard some preachers go an hour and a half. I think the longest one I ever heard was about an hour and 45, almost two hours. And by the way, some preachers can do it and some can't. And I'm not planning to do that this morning. But this preacher, he was long-winded, and so he was getting ready and... While he was getting ready to go to church, he was shaving. And while he was shaving, he cut his face. And it was so bad that it was bleeding. He had to put a bandage on his uh, chin there. And he was getting ready to go to church. And his wife said, honey, said that it, it looks bad. You know, you, you better say something or whatever just so they don't think you got in a fight or something, you know. And, and so he got to church and he told the folks, he said, I just want you to know it's kind of distracting. But he said this morning, he said, I was thinking about my sermon and I cut my face and he said and that's what happened and so he went on to preach and he got done preaching and after he got done preaching he stood by the back door and one of the men came through the line and said well pastor I just I just want to offer a suggestion you know how you said that you were thinking about your sermon and you cut your face he said maybe next Sunday morning you could think about your face and you could cut your sermon a little bit you know that would be better and so I'm gonna to try to cut the sermon this morning I'm gonna to try to get you out on time but I want to show you from 2nd Timothy chapter 1 what I believe is the secret to joy Paul says in verse number 5 he said Timothy I see that there is an unfeigned faith that word feign it means to fake and so an unfeigned it means it's not fake but it's sincere, it's real. You see, the Christian life was real to Timothy. The Christian life was real to Paul. Maybe that's why those men experienced the joy in their journey. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we look at your word. I pray you'd speak to our hearts and give us what we need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul knew something about joy. He said in Philippians 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Paul knew what it was to have joy even though he was beaten, even though he was stoned and left for dead, even though he was thrown into prison, even though he was shipwrecked, even though he was interrogated by those uh, heathen Roman rulers. Paul said, I'm going to finish my course with joy. Paul said, Timothy, he said, I can see that what you have in your life, your Christian life, it is real. Can I tell you the Christian life is a wonderful life. It's the greatest life in all the world, but it must be real for you and it must be real for me. The Bible tells us about 2 Timothy in verse number 5 that he had a godly grandmother. The Bible tells us that Timothy had a godly mother. Most Bible scholars believe that Timothy's father was unsaved. I'll guarantee you the Christian life was not easy for Timothy. I'll guarantee you he had struggles just like you have, just like I have. 
I imagine it was difficult for Timothy as he's preaching the gospel and thinking, my own dad's not even saved. Or if his dad was saved, his dad was not living for the Lord. I'm sure that bothered Timothy. Paul talked to Timothy in verse number 7, and he said, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. I'm sure it was fearful for Timothy pastoring the church at Ephesus and knowing that preachers were being thrown into prison and preachers were being persecuted and preachers uh, were being attacked and preachers were the enemy. I'm sure it was difficult for Timothy, but he still made it real in his Christian life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, Paul said, Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Verse number 12, Paul said, For the which cause also I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I think Timothy probably dealt with the fear of what people would think and being ashamed of what someone might say. But Paul said, Timothy, don't be ashamed. I like Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Timothy had struggles. Timothy saw some friends that turned on him. We get to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. Paul said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Can I tell you, there will be people that will let you down. There will be people that will disappoint you. But don't let those struggles keep you from serving God and from living the Christian life and experiencing joy for the journey. You see, living the Christian life is not optional. Now, God gives you a choice of whether or not you're going to live for Him. But when you're saved, when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what else would you want to live for? If God saved you from the world and God saved you from uh, the, the old nature and God saved you from the wickedness of sin, why would we want to get saved and then go back to the world? I want to tell you, there's only one life that's worth living and that is the life that is lived for God. The Christian life, living for Jesus. You see, the grace of God that saved you is the same grace that can sanctify you. So how do we make the Christian life real? You say, Pastor, I came to church this morning and I'm saved and I want to live for God. I want to do something for God. How do we make it real? Let me give you quickly a few thoughts. Number one, church must be a priority. If the Christian life is going to be real for you, I'm not saying if you're saved. Because you can be saved and not go to church. Now, I just think if you're saved, you ought to want to go to church and you ought to be in church. But if you're going to make the Christian life real, church must be a priority. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul was a church planter. He was a preacher. He started churches. Paul's ministry, he wrote to the church at Corinth. He wrote to the Christians at Rome. He wrote to the church at Galatia. He wrote to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to the church at Philippi. Are you getting the idea that church was a big deal? By the way, in Bible times, in the New Testament church age, they did not have a, 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 an hour slot. They didn't have a, a Sunday morning only. They didn't have a Sunday morning and Sunday night or Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They went to church every day. For them, the church was their life. And seeing people saved and seeing people grow in the Lord, the Great Commission, was their life. Can I tell you, church must be a priority. 
I just believe that God's people ought to be faithful to church. I understand some of you with your work schedules. I understand all that. But I'll tell you, if you absolutely have to work, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work if it's optional on Sunday. I'd, I'd go to church. See, I knew it would take about 10 or 15 minutes for you to get warmed up. I just believe that you ought to go to church. I just believe that God's people ought to be in the house of God. And I know I'm preaching in the choir because you're here, but I believe it. I'm sold on it. You say, well, you have to go to church because you're a pastor. I'll tell you this, if I ever was not pastoring, I hope and pray that I'd be in church. I hope and pray I'd be faithful to the house of God because that's where joy comes. Joy comes from being in the house of God. You get encouragement. When you come to the house of God, you get foundation and you get teaching and you get doctrine. I, I understand some people with work. Maybe you have to work Sunday morning. I tell you what, I'd be in church Sunday night. That'd have been a great place to say amen. I tell you, you say, I've got to work all day Sunday. I don't have a choice. I'd be in church Wednesday night. If I had to miss church, I'd, watch the, I'd go back and I'd watch the archive and say, I need the preaching. I need the teaching. I need to be in Sunday school. I need to be in the Bible study because church must be a priority for the Christian life to be real. I'm all for sports and I'm all for hobbies and I'm all for vacation. But I don't think those things ought to take the priority over God's house. You see, church is important because Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. The church is a big deal. And being with God's people, it will help you to find joy in your Christian life. I just believe in church. I just believe in being in the house of God. I believe in coming and, and I just believe in soaking it up and getting something from it. But church must be a priority. Number two, if you're going to have joy for the journey, the secret to joy, not only church is a priority, but number two, souls must be a concern. If you're going to have a real, sincere, genuine Christian life that you're going to live, you're going to have to be concerned that there are people that do not know Jesus. You see, in verse number eight, Paul said, I want you uh, to, to uh, uh, God has saved us and called us, ver, excuse me, verse eight, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. You say, what's the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a world out there that needs to know that Jesus died for them. And Jesus was buried and Jesus rose again so that they could have salvation. What about your family? Are there family members that you have that are not saved? You ought to be concerned for their soul. Are there friends that you have? I think about our young people going back to school. I think about our adults. What about the friends that you work with? What about your neighbor? What about the person down the street or across the way? Do people that you and I come in contact with do they know Christ? Are you concerned with souls? We have soul winning here at the church Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock and Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock. And if those times don't work for you, we'll get somebody to go with you at another time. But I just believe every Christian, I believe we ought to be concerned with giving out the gospel. We've got track racks in these back uh, hallways. I think you ought to take some, some of these. And on the back, I think you ought to tell some people, say, hey, I just want you to read this when you get time. I've been praying for you. I've got some good news. I want to tell you what God did in my life, but souls ought to be a concern. We ought to be concerned with seeing people saved. Mark 16, 15. 
And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Number three, if we're going to be real in this Christian life and living for God, number three, the Bible must be a necessity. It says in verse number 13, Paul wrote to Timothy, and of course this actual letter was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he said in verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. The Bible must be a necessity. I told our teens at the retreat, I said, you've got to have a time every day that you read the Bible. You've got to have a place every day that you read the Bible. If you don't have a time and a place, you probably won't do it very long. You probably won't do it consistently. But Christians must get in the Bible. It must be a necessity. You need to read it. You need to obey it. We need to memorize it. We need to think about it. You know, throughout the day, there ought to be situations that come up and we think, I've got a scripture verse for that. I know the answer. I know what the Bible says about that. Here's what God wants me to do. But the Bible must be a necessity. Number four, prayer. Prayer must be a commitment. It says in verse number three, Paul says that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Prayer ought to be a commitment. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. I was at this uh, retreat with uh, my girls this week with Lacey and Savannah and Chloe. I drove the shuttle and went to the, the retreat. It's about four hours away, so I didn't go back and forth. I just stayed there and got to spend some time with the young people. But at this camp, there was not good cell phone reception at all. I tried making a couple calls. I couldn't get them out. Uh, a couple people tried to call me. It didn't come through. We could, I could get text messages, so that was good. I was able to keep up on some of that. But while I was gone, I couldn't call my wife. I couldn't talk to her on the phone. But can I tell you what I did? I sent her a lot of messages, a lot of, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I love you. I miss you. How, how, how are you doing? How's Kylie doing? She didn't cheat to me. How are the girls doing? How are things going there? How are, how's the retreat going? You see, that communication, that communication was something that even though, even though we didn't have the cell phone signal, the cell phone uh, service, there was a commitment. I wanted to be in communication with my wife. Can I tell you, we ought to be in communication with the Lord. Prayer ought to be a commitment. Confessing our sins and calling out to God for help and for strength and for wisdom and, and getting along with God and talking to God. Amen. Number five, when the Christian life is real, serving God becomes a responsibility. It says in verse number nine, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Joshua 24, Joshua told the people, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then Joshua answered his own question. He said, hey, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said there's a, there's a, a, a responsibility for us to serve God. I think every Christian ought to have a ministry that you serve in. I think some of you that are not in the choir I think you ought to be in the choir. We're going we're gonna, to uh, place hidden microphones throughout this auditorium next year. 
And we're going to be listening to hear who can sing and who's got hidden talents that we're going to, and we'll call you out in the service. We'll put your face on the screen and say, you are going to come up to this choir or we're not going to change that. No, we're not doing that. But some of you could sing. Some of you could help in a nursery. Some of you could help on a bus route. Some of you could help in a class. Some of you could say, hey, I could come and I could serve in some way. What can I do? But we ought to serve God. I thank the Lord for our ushers and greeters. And I thank the Lord for our folks who help with our fellowships and who help with our shut-ins and help in nursing homes. There's so many needs. But can I tell you, serving God must be a responsibility. And then number six, holiness must be an obligation. It says in verse number nine, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. You see, you can't live like the world and live for Christ at the same time. Now, I'm not saying you can't be saved. You can be saved and be worldly. You can be saved and be backslidden, but you'll never have joy. You'll never have happiness. You'll never have peace if you're trying to live like the world and you're a child of God. You see, our holiness pleases God. Our holiness brings glory to God. Our holiness points people to Christ and our holiness validates what we say we are. I understand that there are we have many in this room who you're dealing with things and you're maybe still new in your Christian life and you're growing. And I understand we've all got areas we're growing in. Amen. None of us have arrived. Isn't that the truth? But maybe at the workplace, maybe you struggle with your language. Maybe something will happen and curse words will come out or maybe something will happen and there'll be some profanity that you'll use. Can I tell you, that's not going to point people to Jesus. You can't in one breath say, yeah, I was over there at that blankety-blank church the other day, Victory Bat. No, 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 no. That it doesn't go together. You see, you're not validating what you say you are. You say you're a child of God, and I say I'm a child of God. Then what we talk and how we communicate ought to be like a child of God would talk. The places we go ought to be Christian. The friends we have, the music we listen to, the language we speak, the appearance that we show, the heart that we have, the thoughts that we think, our purity, it ought to be a reflection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Holiness ought to be an obligation. You see, the Christian life, if it's real, there's going to be some marks. There's going to be some trademarks. But can I tell you this, that these areas, these must be mandatory in your life and you've got to make a determination. But here's the secret and I'm done. The secret is when you don't view these things as something you have to do, but you view it as something you get to do. Now let's try this again. If we're going to make the Christian life real, then we must make church a priority but how about this what if we make church not a priority but what if church becomes a privilege wouldn't that be good we come to church and we, we wake up Sunday morning and we're getting ready to go to church and we say hey guess what we don't have to go to church we get to go to church Hey, we don't have to go and we don't have to sing and we don't have to listen to preaching and we don't have to give and we don't have to tithe. We get to do those things. We've been saved. We've been born again. We get to get encouragement. We get to get the Bible. We get to get all that we can receive at church and it's not a have to, 
but it's a get-to, it's a privilege. What if souls were not just a concern, but what if souls became a compassion? What if we started thinking about other people and saying, hey, wait a minute, somebody told me about Jesus. I wonder if I could tell them about Jesus. Somebody shared the gospel with me. I wonder if I could share it with somebody else. And what wouldn't it be great if we'd get compassion and it'd break our heart and we'd say, I, I can't believe that I am saved and I'm going to heaven and I can tell somebody else the good news. But souls ought to be compassion. The Bible, not just a necessity, but the Bible becomes our nourishment. Job uh, 23, 12, Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, hang on. Can you imagine that? Job says, the Bible is more important to me than the food I put in my mouth. I want to tell you this. If you're here this morning and you're healthy, I'm not talking about sickness. I'm not talking about cancer. I'm not talking about medication and all that. But if you're healthy, nobody has to force you to eat. You're looking forward to it. It is not a have to eat. It's a, I get to eat. And some of you are thinking, and pastor, if you would just wind her down, we could eat even faster. And would that be a blessing? But the word of God, it should not be just a necessity, but it's our nourishment. Man, we've got the Bible. We've got a love letter from God himself. We've got the word of God that we can read and we can study and we can memorize and meditate on anytime we want. The Bible becomes nourishment. Prayer becomes a craving. It's not just a commitment, but it's a craving. When I was uh, at the retreat and I was texting my wife and when we were communicating back and forth, it was not a, oh, gotta check in with Joanna. <sighs> man, I wish I didn't have to send her a text message. Oh, man, enjoying this peace and quiet. I got a few days away from her. I want to promise you it wasn't that. I hope it wasn't like that for her. But I tell you what it was. It was a craving. I want to talk to her. I want to know how she's doing. I want to tell her about how things are going. I want to be in communication. And by the way, friend, prayer ought not to be, oh, I have to pray. But prayer ought to be, what a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. And then serving God. Yes, it's a responsibility. But serving God ought to be the reason we're living. It ought to be the reason we get up in the morning. It ought to be the reason we go to work. It ought to be the reason we go uh, on our ministry, we go to our class, or we get in a choir, or we go out on a bus ride, or we go out and knock on doors, because serving God, it's not just a responsibility. It is the reason that we are here. And holiness is not just an obligation, but holiness and being Christ-like is an opportunity. For people to see Jesus in us it's an opportunity for us to show people what God can do in somebody's life the secret to joy I believe is this it's when we do what God has told us to do but when the Christian life is not just an obligation but the Christian life is an opportunity the Christian life it's not just a burden it's a blessing the Christian life is not just a set of rules, but the Christian life becomes a relationship. And we don't serve him because we have to. We serve him because we get to. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation 
in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That word saved is a Bible word. The word saved means that you're saved from something, but you're also saved to something. When we get saved, when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Bible tells us we have been saved from a place called hell, but we're saved to a place called heaven. The Bible teaches very clearly that once a person is saved, that person is saved forever. Jesus said it like this in John 10, verses 27 through 29. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's amazing to think that Jesus Christ keeps us in his hand. The Bible teaches us that when we trust Christ as our personal Savior, we are saved forever. The Bible calls it eternal life. It's everlasting life. It's something that you don't have to be saved over and over and over and over again. It's a one-time decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you can know for sure that heaven is your home. You can know for sure that you are saved forever. For more information about this important subject, please give us a call at 252-537-5973 or write us a letter addressed to 2360 Bowling Road in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to the Voice of Victory radio broadcast. We hope that these messages are a help to you in your spiritual life. We are located at 2360 Bowling Road in Roanoke Rapids. Our Sunday school classes begin at 10 a.m. Sunday morning service is at 11 a.m. Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. Or Wednesday evening prayer meeting and Bible study begins at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, please contact us at 252-537-5973. You can also visit us online at vbcrr.org. Please tune in again next week at this same time. And on behalf of everyone at Victory Baptist Church, God bless you. And thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Voice of Victory radio broadcast.